TCU, Texas Christian University, known as the Horned Frog People. It's a nasty scoreboard, isn't it? I mean, why would you name a school or your team after the Horned Frogs? I don't know. <laughs> TCU, by the way, lost yesterday um, to Colorado. I don't know if you guys track it. Colorado wasn't ranked. Uh, TCU was, and they got beat. Sad day in America. Not really. It doesn't really matter to me, but um, you feel bad for those horn frogs, don't you? Yeah, you just feel bad for them. Anyway, there's uh, Richard Lowe. Uh, he was a bona fide football fanatic uh, for TCU. The reason was he played his college football days there. And um, over the past decades, he invested in the school, and he earned the right to be known as Mr. TCU Football. And he led the way in building a brand new stadium a few years ago in Fort Worth, and uh, he'll be forever remembered because there's a bronze statue of he and his wife, Mary, uh, at the entrance of the stadium. Well, during the, these recent years of TCU's national acclaim ranking in the top five football programs uh, in the nation, uh, Richard had been known as one of the most visible and vocal fans. And uh, we go back to September 2015 when TCU played Texas Tech, the Red Raiders. And, uh, of course, they were competing for a national championship and uh, longtime rivals. You know how your blood pressure spikes when you're playing your rival teams. Anyway, it was a high-scoring game that TCU eventually won by the score of 55-22 on the last play of the game. Pretty nerve-wracking, right? 55-52. Just checking to see if you guys are listening, man. Thanks, Travis. You bailed me out on that one. <laughs> yeah, 55-52. Close game. It was close. Yeah, believe me, it was close. Anyway, Rich... Uh, Richard Lowe, he, he, uh, he records all the games because he's a, you know, he was a fanatic. And so um, he was asked a few days after the game, that particular game, how many times he had viewed the final play. And he said at least 12 times because it was so much fun to see TCU pull it out. Well, anyway, as we read Daniel 2, we can identify with Rich watching the final game so many times, knowing that his team won. And how interesting it would be if we all watched, let's say, the upcoming, uh, say, Packers game, and uh, it was played to the full. We saw the final score. We end up going to the game with some friends, and uh, it's a close game, and your, your friends are jumping up and down. They're chewing on their fingernails, man. They're wondering what in the world is going to happen by the end of this game. And you're just sitting there, man, with a smile on your face. And your friends look at you and say, what's your problem? And you just smile because you know how it's going to end, right? You know how it's going to end. It's going to be okay. The Packers are going to win. Hopefully not. I've had that discussion with some of the dudes here. I'm not a Packer fan. I, I'm not an NFL fan, period, right now. I'm floating through uh, the cloud. We'll have that conversation one day. <laughs> yeah. So we can identify with Daniel in chapter 2 because Daniel sees the end of history. He knows how it's going to end. And because of that, he's fired up, just like you and I should be fired up, because we know how it's going to end. God takes us through the fourth quarter and um, all the way through the end of the game. And, you know, we can be anxious, uh, fearful, uh, living in our world today with so many changes taking place. But... Um, there was an article last month titled, Fear Prevalent in the Pews, According to Protestant Pastors. 
And it says fear not is a frequent command in the Bible, but most pastors feel churchgoers aren't getting the message. A LifeWay research study finds almost 7 in 10 U.S. Protestant pastors believe there is a growing sense of fear within their congregations about the future of the nation and the world. Scott McConnell, he's part of the LifeWay research team, says the Bible tells followers of Jesus to expect trials, tribulations, and suffering. However, the Bible doesn't prescribe fear as the response to adversity. Instead, it frequently encourages rejoicing and faithfulness as anxieties are cast upon God. Man, I don't know where you're landing in this world today if you're living in fear, if you're losing sleep. I just want to echo what that dude just said, man, that as a, a follower of Jesus Christ, we can cast our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. He does. He's proven it. And when we look into Daniel 2 this morning, we're going to see that Daniel never seemed to panic. He never seemed to have his blood pressure spike. He was always steady, consistent, and following after his God in a really a, a turbulent culture that hated God. It, it, it believed in the occult and satanic worship. That's where Daniel landed. And he was okay because he knew God was with him. And friends, God is with you. He is. And he will continue to be with you. So here we are living in this world, and uh, Daniel is teaching us how to make our way through this culture the way he did. Uh, that's seemingly losing its way. Um, we see that human history was really presented in this chapter, and um, Daniel lived his life without giving up under the pressure. And if he were here today physically, he would say the same thing to us, man, don't give up. Put your hope and trust in the one true God. And um, we, have to, we do have to trust the author of life, with, with his Jesus Christ. Um, beginning of last week, I, I read, I'm in Mark, the book of Mark, and verse 37 kind of jumped out at me. And it said, is anything worth more than your soul? And I'd like to submit that question to you this morning. Is there anything, can you think of anything in this world that is worth more than your soul? Just kind of take a few moments and drill down on that. Anything, anything. Jesus asked that question. Uh, he asked it because um, we can get so caught up in living our lives that we lose perspective of what's really important. And Jesus here in Mark 8 kind of shoots a flare in the air, and he's saying, listen, I know life can get busy. I know life can be problematic. But I want you to know and think about the value of your soul. And we know that Jesus took care of that, didn't he? by going to the cross and crashing through that tomb three days later. Um, just to back up a verse, in verse 35, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? I'm submitting that to you this morning. What, what good is it, man, if you gain the whole world? but you lose your soul, that soul that lives for eternity. And then Jesus says, is anything worth more than your soul? Think about it. Those of you watching online, I just challenge you to think about it. And um, we realize that this life that we're living is not the end. And Daniel proves that. Um, you can see that there's another world of eternity that we're going to be walking into. 2 Corinthians 4.18, so we do not look at what we can see right now, the troubles all around, 
but we look forward to the joys in heaven which we have not seen. The troubles will soon be over. Isn't there a song about that? (laughs) The troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. Forever. How long is forever? It's forever. Yeah. And uh, we need to remind ourselves, like Jesus is saying, hey, your relationship with God is only as good as you want it to be. If you're not investing in that relationship, because Jesus is, if you're just putting it on cruise control spiritually, um, you're not moving towards him, you're moving away from him. And so when these crises of the world come, and Daniel was facing a crisis here, um, are you prepared? That's a good question. And the next thing is we want to make sure that we bring Jesus into that crisis. Let him come in. Let him make a difference. And here's a word of encouragement. Since, since the whole world is in God's hands, your world is in God's hands. And you can rest in that. Isaiah forty twelve. who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Anybody? Only God. Only God. So, man, we, we celebrate his greatness. We trust the Lord with our world that we're living in because he's faithful. So in your notes, you see today we are talking about back to the future, looking at Daniel 2, 19 through 49. I'm going to pick it at verse 19. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. We know Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He threatened his wise guys. The pagan dudes, they couldn't come up with the answer for him. And so uh, Daniel went and requested, hey, can I uh, spend some time with God? And I'm trusting that he will give me the answer for that dream. How about it, King Neb? Gave him some thumbs up and said, go for it. So we see in verse 19 that 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 vision was revealed to Daniel. So Daniel praised the God of heaven. He praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we go back to the future. As we see, Lord, uh, 2,600 years ago, this dream that... uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had, we know you gave him that dream for a purpose. You had Daniel strategically located in Babylon so that he could give the interpretation to the dream to the king. How cool is that? How you set up events, Lord. And that's the same thing you're doing in our lives. In 2023, you're using us. You're living through us to make a difference in our culture. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, Daniel, man, he, you know, he's 15 years old. Gets taken from Jerusalem, exiled to Babylon by a pagan, powerful country. He sees the temple robbed of all of its wealth. Eventually, it would be burned to the ground. It seems like as a 15-year-old, you would be somewhat confused and asking, hey, is, is this God? Is God really relevant for the day that I'm living in? But we never see that coming out of Daniel. If you took that as journals, he would never have written anything like that. Daniel was rock solid in his faith, man. He trusted God. And he knew God was active in his life. And so we see that Daniel spent time with God. He enlisted his band of brothers to pray with him, petitioning the Lord to give that answer. And we know that night, that very night, God answered Daniel with a dream and interpretation. And um, what does Daniel do? Does he get all fired up? 
you know, go down to cable news and say, man, it was me. I, I came up with that dream. I came up with the interpretation, you know. Wasn't there some kind of reward here for the, for the person who came up with it? No, that's not what he does. Look at verse 20. It says, praise the name of God forever and ever. Man, he, he hits the pause button. When his life is at risk, he puts on a CD, if you still have any of those, or YouTube worship, and starts worshiping God. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he is all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. Look at this, verse 23, man. I thank and praise you, God. How do you think Daniel responded here? Thank you. Thank you. I don't think so, man. When your life is at risk, you're, you're about to be terminated, and God answers that prayer, don't you think there would be some raw emotion? Huh? I think so. Man, when we were singing that song, Holy, this morning, that was powerful. And you just kind of get caught up in that and you express, God, you are holy. You are awesome. And you're in control. Friends, I just want to encourage you, man. We, it's okay. It's okay. You look at Daniel. I wish there was like a, a, a side note here on Daniel's emotion, the raw emotion that he felt when he was worshiping the Lord. I think it would be a real source of encouragement to all of us. I thank you and I praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. He was fired up. My man Daniel's 18 years old and he's fired up. It's good to see teenagers fired up, huh? I was thinking about this even during worship, how grateful... I mean, if you look at all of our volunteers, we've had a lot of young people serving. They took over the sound booth this morning. They kicked all the adults out. (laughs) Oh, if you take a look, man, we have a lot of young people serving. And I'm thinking, God, that is so cool. I know in my own personal life, when I realized that God loved me and I let him love me, and then I started serving him, In practical ways, my faith began to grow consistently. You know, instead of the roller coaster deal, you know, when you serve, you're giving out. God refills you. Is that true or false? Come on, is that true or false? That's true, man. That's absolutely true. And so we are grateful for that. Psalm 28, 6 and 7, praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. What happens when your heart's filled with joy? Starts doing jumping jacks in there. Woo! Woo! Right? Yeah. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Man, that... May God liberate us from ourselves. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. And there is a worship song that I've I've listened to over and over again, and there's a line that says, When the chaos comes my way, when the chaos comes my way, I will choose to praise. Is that good? Has chaos come your way? You're either in the chaos, you were in the chaos, or you're going into the chaos. Because Jesus promised in this world, you will have trouble. It's a broken world we're living in. So when the chaos comes my way, instead of freaking out and having a meltdown, I will choose to praise. That's what Daniel did. And uh, we can do that too. So this is where we are in the story. 
We don't know what the dream means yet. Are you excited to find out? <laughs> Daniel rings doorbells, number one. And I'm not talking about boys ringing doorbells and running away. He's not running away from after ringing the doorbell. He's staying put. Verse 24, then Daniel went to see Ariok. You remember, he's the dude that was the executioner. He came and rang Daniel's doorbell and said, I'm going to kill you. Whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Ariok quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah. Daniel's already been in Babylon three years, and he's still referred to as one of the captives. That's interesting. Why is that? It's because he hasn't assimilated into the culture. He doesn't do what everybody else does in Babylon. He's kept his identity with God, and that's important. Are you drifting in with the culture? Is there a distinct difference about your life on how you live it? And from everybody else on your block? It's a good question. So we see, Ariok says, I found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of the dream. Daniel is fired up. I can't, I can't make that more clear. You're going to hear me say that a lot this morning. He is fired up. Why is he fired up? Because God has been working in his life. You hear me say that many times, man, when God is working in my life, God is working, present tense. And when you know that God of the universe, the creator of all things is working in your life, that gets you fired up. Yeah, he's changing you, making you more like Christ. God answered Daniel's prayer. And that's the cool thing when you pray and God answers it. There's life in that. And Daniel worshiped, and now he starts ringing doorbells. <laughs> and the first one is Ariox. Um, I believe, I believe. I've been reading a book called I Believe, and in it, um, Brad Wagoneer writes, there's been a massive study on the factors that move us to be more like Christ or to become more devoted followers of the Savior. You want to hear what that's all about? You want to be more devoted? Yo. Yeah. Hopefully. Listen, uh, I've told a few people, there's a, there's a byline that we're going to start integrating uh, at Live Church, and that is we are in radical pursuit of Jesus Christ. We are in radical pursuit for Jesus Christ. This is not some whenever I get around to it or eh, I'll work my way into it. No, we are in radical pursuit. If you're not in radical pursuit, you're going to get run over by our culture today. It's true. It's true. So, Life Church, we are in radical pursuit of Jesus Christ. And um, we want to be more devoted followers of the Savior. At the risk of oversimplifying his findings, I was struck by one major discovery. You want to know what it is? What is it? Those who read their Bibles daily are most likely to become committed followers of Christ. The study found that daily Bible readers will pray more consistently. They will share the gospel more readily. They will be more active in their churches and demonstrate greater commitment to their churches. Do you get the picture? We don't merely learn biblical truths when we read the Bible. We are changed to be more like Christ. The Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Today, the Holy Spirit convicts us to walk paths of righteousness when we read the Bible faithfully. Hmm. It's essential to read the Bible or have someone read the Bible to us and explain it. That's why we're doing the, uh, the class um, starting next Sunday. Uh, you know, we can learn together. Charles Spurgeon, who was a great 
preacher in England in the 1800s put it this way, defend the Bible, question mark. I would as soon defend a lion, unchain it, and it will defend itself. Open the door and let the lion out. I believe that would be the best way of defending him, for he would take care of himself, and the best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. Let it out. Let it out. And so, and so Daniel, man, is fired up. He can hardly wait to ring the doorbell. Of Ariok. And he tells him, hey, once Ariok opens the door, I, I've got to go see the king. I've got to go see the king. God has answered our prayer. And um, so since Ariok was the head of the execution team, um, you know, he could stop the process, the orders from happening. And so he brings Daniel to the palace. And once again, Daniel was able to ring that doorbell. Ariok, verse 25, I have found one of the captives from Judah who would tell us, tell the king the meaning of the dream. Did Ariok find Daniel? Or did Daniel find Ariok? I know it's a little deep for a Sunday morning, but the answer's right there in verse 25. Huh? Come on, somebody talk to me. What is it? Daniel found him. Whose doorbell did Daniel ring? Ariok. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he, Ariok's not really telling the truth, but Daniel's okay with it. Because when you, when you track this, you're going to find that that Daniel, all he wants is not glory for himself, honor to himself. He wants God to be glorified. He wants to lift up the name of his God in Babylon. He's not concerned about who gets the praise. Listen, friend, at Live Church, I hope, you know, if you don't get a pat on the back when you think you should and you get offended, man, you get your feelings hurt, don't let that happen. We are not a perfect church. You know, we're only human. Not making excuses, but the enemy wants you to become offended at the most basic things. He wants you to raise a wall against fellow followers of Christ. And you have to recognize that is not from God. Satan was full of pride, and that's how he got kicked out of heaven. So if you're letting pride rule your life, you're joining Satan's team. You're endorsing him over God. Don't become offended. Let it go. Let it go. Right? Let it go. Daniel, he could have got offended here. He could have got ticked off. He's No problem, man. God's going to get all the glory here at the end of the day. So we see there's five. Look at this, man, in chapter 2. You look at the proper nouns. We're going to have a little English class here right now. Proper nouns, pronoun. Hey, Travis, I forgot about the slides. Huh? Oh, they're up there. <laughs> I missed up, man. We were going to show slides of the school opening last Wednesday. It's my fault. I take the blame. We'll show them again. Proper, I was thinking about school there. Did you see that? Nouns, pronouns. Yeah. Referred to, so, so the proper nouns and pronouns Daniel referred to in chapter 2 to the Lord 13 times in that chapter. 13. And he used only five pronouns to refer to himself and his three friends. So 13 for God and five for himself. You can see that Daniel was all about focusing on God. And I tell you what, man, as an 18-year-old young man, that's quite mature. Wouldn't you say? I think so. Number two, Daniel promotes his God. Verse 26, the king, so he rang the king's doorbell, has an audience with the king. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, 
Is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And Daniel replied, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anybody else. You see, Daniel's deflecting here. That I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. Isn't that cool? I personally believe as a follower of Christ, we should all walk in humility. And I'll tell you why. All you have to do is read the Old Testament. You look at the nation of Israel when they left Egypt and how pride got in their way. You know, it's all about me. It's about my self-survival. And you look at the net result of the people of Israel as they walk through the desert. Just track those events. And when we say, Lord, I'm gonna, I want to live like you, for you. Jesus, you were humble. You went to the cross. You left heaven. You paid for my sin. That You were crucified in my place. And you tracked the Gospels, you'll find that he walked in humility. And as followers of Christ, we should, we should do likewise. We should defer to one another. A, a thing, when somebody comes to you and says, hey, that was great, you know, you could do it at work, you know, at school, uh, at church. If somebody comes up and says, great job, you can say thank you. But when you get the opportunity of that same day, you need to go somewhere and say, Lord, I give you thanks. Because it's all about you. You are the one that has given me that ability. You are the one that helped me fulfill this mission. And so when, you, when we start piling up all... Do you see how, what happens, friends, when people get applause, you know, accolades over and over? You see, I had a conversation with a guy about a month ago, and he said, we both know this dude, and just so you know, he doesn't come here. And he said, he's different from years ago because he's tasted success in his business. He's a different person. And that's what happens, man. When we, when we just keep receiving the applause and the accolades and they start piling up, it goes to our head. Whereby if we deflect that, when people say, great job, we say, thank you. But Lord, I give you the praise. That's where we keep our balance. You good with that? We walk in humility. And we see that God, God wants you to understand. I don't care if I get any pat on the back. It's all about God. And um, Daniel was pointing, you know, hey, it's not your advisors. It's not your uh, wise guys. It came from God from heaven, man. It's all about God. Oral Horsheiser, we're going to go back in baseball history. We're moving into the World Series, of course, uh, the end of September, beginning of October. In 1988, Earl Horsharzer was the pitcher for the L.A. Dodgers. They, had, they were in the process of winning the World Series that year, and Oral had been named the MVP. And during the last game of the series, they were getting ready to go into the ninth inning, and a TV camera kind of zoomed into the dugout where Oral was, was standing, and it it zoomed in, but the microphone couldn't pick up. His lips were moving, and it, they, they couldn't. So anyway, later on, after they had won the World Series, Oral was a guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And Johnny asked him, hey, we, we saw the film. What was that all about? You were doing something in the dugout. And uh, what were you saying? And, and Oral said, I wasn't saying anything. 
And Carson responded, well, tell us what you were doing, because your lips were moving. And uh, Oral said, I was singing. And Johnny said, you were singing? I didn't know you were a singer. Why don't you sing for us? <laughs> and, and Oral deflected, no, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to sing. Well, anyway, the audience got into it, and they started clapping. Sing oral, sing oral. We want to hear you sing oral, you know, boom. So finally he relented, and uh, he sang the song. The cameras caught him singing in the dugout, and it was the doxology. Praise God. It's on the screen, in case some of you don't know it. From all whom all blessings flow, praise him, all creatures below. Praise him above you heavenly host, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Should we sing it? Yeah. Let's sing it, man. And let's sing it with some oomph. Let's see. Who needs to start us? Anybody know that? From whom all blessings flow. Praise him. Silent, speechless. The audience was silent. And then one person stood up and they began to applaud with the rest of the audience over time. And that song that Oral sang was Oral's way of saying, God, you're the reason why I was the MVP of the World Series. You're the one who gave me the ability, God. You're the reason why my life has been honored so much. And I give you all the credit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. When Daniel met the king, that's exactly what he did as well. He didn't sing the doxology, but he was lifting up God's name to the king. And... Uh, <clears throat> Just hitting us a little earlier, you know, uh, Oral Hershiser. Um, did somebody in the dugout tell him, you better start singing a doxology? You know? No, that was automatic to him because it was on the inside. It had to come out. And I get it. And in the Christian community, you know, we're encouraged to share our faith and we're encouraged to give our finances to the Lord. And we do that simply as a reminder that all of our income comes from Him. That's what giving back to the Lord, it's just a reminder. It's so easy to forget. Often Christians don't feel like sharing their faith. Or, you know, even in our culture today, a Christian community culture across America, Christians get offended because somebody says you should give God your first of your income. They don't want to hear it. You need to share your faith. I don't want to share my faith. And um, we see that Daniel did not have to watch a DVD before going into the king to, to show him how he needs to communicate about God to the king. It was automatic. He was fired up because he had had an encounter with God, friend, and that was the natural thing to do. When you have an encounter with God, and hopefully it's an encounter daily, you know, reading his word, spending time with him, that it should be automatic that we tell people. Our light should be shining out there. We should love to give, man, our finances out of gratitude because it's all, it's all God's anyway. And... Uh, um,
I'm just going to take a moment on this as well. There's an article called What's Behind America's Great Dechurching? You, uh, that's becoming popular. Um, John Stone Street with, uh, wrote this in August. He said, it's time to rethink individualist Christianity. Expect more from the body of Christ where God is alive and well. Evangelicals as a share of the population have sunk to pre-1980s levels while the religiously unaffiliated have swelled to nearly a third of the population. Ryan Burge, a statistician and co-author of a forthcoming book entitled The Great Dechurching, calls the emptying of pews and the rise of the unaffiliated the most significant shift in American society over the last 30 years. Jake Meter uh, wrote in his review of that book, he said, this change is bad news for America as a whole because participation in a religious community generally correlates, listen, with better health outcomes, longer life, higher financial generosity, and more stable families, all of which are desperately needed in a nation with rising rates of loneliness, mental illness, and alcohol and drug dependency. Faith, particularly Christian faith, is an irreplaceable force for good in society. Is that right? Its decline will leave America less healthy, less charitable, less connected, and less capable of dealing with major social ills without government intervention. Evidence suggests it already has. Part of the trend of decline may be churches that ask too little of those who darken the doors. The authors of the great dechurching suggest that low expectations of those in the pews and widely embraced individualist assumptions have led to fewer and fewer Americans finding time for church. If Christianity is merely kind of a hobby or a weekly pep talk designed to enhance psychological well-being or career success, then we can find better stuff on YouTube or Spotify. Why make time for this type of church every week? But what if Christianity is a way of life? The things it's all about. What if it demands our allegiance? What if following Christ restructures our priorities and pursuits, our beliefs and our behavior, including career, family, and even personal identity? Everything else in our society directs our gaze inward to ourselves, our feelings, our priorities, and our problems, as if every individual is the center of his or her own universe. Churches that accept and even participate in this idolatry may be leading millions away from Christianity, not by demanding everything of them, but by demanding nothing from them. Those who are happy or indifferent about the decline of American churches are beginning to get glimpses of what an American without Christian influence will look like. Is that happening, friend? I think so. It can and will get worse. For 2,000 years, the knowledge and fear of a transcendent God, not helpful social programs, has built and filled churches. If the magnitude of that claim is forgotten or even obscured, our churches will indeed become sepulchers but not for God, who lives and reigns forever and ever. They will become memorials of the squandered heritage of a once deeply but no longer Christian nation. On Tuesdays, we have our staff meetings. And we've been tracking this dechurching stuff and deconstructing your faith has crept across our country and why people aren't attending church. And I, I have made it my goal, my mission, not to let that happen at Life Church, where you can just drift in and out of here whenever you feel like it. You're going to do what everybody else does in our culture because that's the way things are going in our country today. I am committed to challenging you and myself to to being in church as much as possible. 
because I need it. And I love being with you, honestly. There's nothing like it in the world. Debbie and I love being here. We love serving here. And we can echo what John Stone Street said, man. I want to be committed. My loyalty is to Jesus Christ and his church, his church, the bride of Christ. I am committed to that. And I am, I will not let drifting, you know, that's our culture. That's the winds of change. And no, it isn't, friend. I'll fight for it. Because Jesus Christ died for it. And I have seen the benefit of a family that is committed to coming to church consistently, man. And I have seen the benefit where the children grow up and they follow behind their parents. And I get it. There are, there are children that have drifted off, but we're believing God for them to come back as well. But we, like Daniel, are living in a culture where living for God is under assault and being mocked regularly. And a way we can combat that. We don't come into a holy huddle here, man. This is like, this is like game day. We celebrate what God's been doing through the week, what he's doing through each one of us, and we celebrate the greatness of our God. That's what it's all about. Bob Benson, who sits on this side, about four rows in from the back, had back surgery on Tuesday, and it was supposed to be a three-hour surgery. It went five hours. He was supposed to be up and about in a couple days. He's on his back. He has no feeling in his left leg. And they've moved him to a physical therapy place. Jude, I grieve. I, I hurt for that because he's part of the family. I carry that with me because he's part of God's family. And that goes for every single one of you. You matter to God. And we should matter to each other at Life Church. And I ask you this morning your loyalty. Where's your loyalty? We saw with Daniel, it was all about God, for God, living strong for God. May each one of us, friends, those of you online here this morning, commit to being totally in for the kingdom of God and the honor of Jesus Christ. Father, we are really in awe of you. You have proven yourself over and over again. And Lord, we recognize in 2023 when we are racing. racing through history to the end of history of this world because you're coming back, Lord. And this morning, we think of our souls, Lord. Think about our souls. Is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than my soul right now in my life? How am I living my life? What's more important? What's showing up on top? What good is it if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? We thank you, Lord, that Daniel settled that. 
even while living in Jerusalem. He said, Lord, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Today, if you don't have or your relationship with the Lord has wandered, it's a good reminder that God created you and to be with him. That's what he wants. But our sins separate us from a holy God. We sang about the holiness of God. Sin cannot coexist where God is. And our sins cannot be removed by doing good stuff, trying to be good enough. Jesus had to go to the cross and die for our sins to pay for that in full. And everybody who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And the cool thing is when we put our faith in Jesus, it starts right now. We don't have to go through a program. We don't have to rehabilitate ourselves. It starts right now. And it lasts forever. And Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for that great demonstration of love. And we do pray, Lord, you would forgive us for not being loyal to you. Just kind of take it. Whatever happens, happens. Whenever I feel like it, I'll do it. Oh, Lord, these are great days to live for you. <laughs> If we're not, we're missing out. I pray for every person online and those in this auditorium, Lord, that we can simply say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. So, Lord, thank you for meeting with us today. I pray for those that simply say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm putting my trust in you. Thank you for going to the cross in my place and paying my sin debt in full. Lord, I thank you for those people that are speaking that right now. starting right here, right now, Lord, with that relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.